I find that scary stuff this time of year is popular. If you look at Netflix right now, all kinds of scary shows, if you, uh, if that floats your boat. But I want to say that scary stuff is, is very polarizing. I mean, much like politics, right? No, no, we're not going to talk about politics today. But, but scary stuff in my family is very 50-50. And there's six of us, so that means three and three. And some of us really kind of like it, and some of us really don't. And one of the things that we've done and has become a family tradition, well, for last year and this year, is we've done something called Spooky Woods. Now, have you ever gone to Spooky Woods? Okay, well, if you haven't, this is a picture of us last year. Um, this was before, this is before it really got bad uh, because they, they take you on a, a ride and they do some traumatizing things to you with sounds and um, scary people. And that brought about some tears in my family. But you know, we got past it and we actually went again this past Friday and no tears this year. So we, we're making um, headway. But I, last year was crazy because they're like, Dad, you go first. You go first. And so I'm walking and everything. And, and when I get scared, I laugh. Like, it's all funny to me. And then when they try it, when it's even more scary, I laugh even more. I don't know why. I, I, you might think I'm demented or sick. I don't know what that says about me. But they're, like, pushing me, and they've got a hold of my shirt, depending on what's happening. And really, if you think about it, the person that goes first is often not the one that they scare the most because they kind of want to wait, wait till your whole group gets in. So my strategy is I'll just go first, and they'll go get them coming behind because they don't want to like spool the surprise as I walk into the, the scary room or wherever that may be. But what I find is that what they want to do at Spooky Woods or a scary movie is they want to bring about some insecurity in you, that they want to trigger some thoughts in you. And I asked my wife, I was like, what scares you the most um, about this? And she said, it's my imagination. She goes, I just can't help it. My, my, my imagination is so vivid. Like, I just kind of play out the scenarios. And you guys, if you have a, a vivid imagination, you understand what that's like. But the whole idea is to make you scared. And, and that's fun for the people doing it. And sometimes it's fun for the people who are with the people who get scared. Uh, so we did that this past Friday. We did it last year. And uh, we'll probably continue to do it for the years to come because I've enjoyed watching my family progress and their scare enjoyment. So uh, on top of that, I, I really did have a more serious, potentially scary situation, well, horrifying situation happened to me about three weeks ago. I had to pick up my kids from Ragsdale High School. That's not the scary part. But I picked them up from school, and I took them to a meeting with me, and they were doing their homework, and I was in this meeting. And my wife, Brooke, was coaching CrossFit classes, which she does part of the time. And my daughter, May, was with Brooke. And then my son, Micah, was at a soccer game. So all of our kids were spread out. And if you don't know me, I have four kids. And it's like, whoa, four kids, that's a lot. Yes, you, you're right. So we're constantly on the go, look, going to places all around this community. And so I got done with my meetings. And, and my, my two kids that were with me, Matt and Mia, um, I had to get to another place. So Mia, I had to drop off at the house where we live. And I was dropping off Mia home alone. 
And, and crazy things can happen when you're home alone. I mean, they made a movie about it, right? So I drop her off, and then I take Matt to band rehearsal because Matt was going to be playing on this stage a few weeks back, and he did. And so I take Matt to band rehearsal and drop him off to get ready for that Sunday. And so everyone is scattered. Me is home alone, and I'm driving back home, and I come back into my house. And when I walk into my house and someone's there, I usually say hello to them, um, even though sometimes we get all spread out on our phones and you know, that can be kind of weird and, and terrible. But uh, I come in, I'm like, Mia, Mia, I don't hear anything. And finally, she emerges from our downstairs bathroom and it's pitch black. The door is slightly cracked and she emerges and she's trembling. And I'm like, what is going on? She said, there's someone upstairs. And I was like, oh no. So I went into the kitchen and did what every responsible dad does and I got a butcher knife. <laughs> now, I just want to say, I've never stabbed anybody. Uh, but if you come into my house, I will cut you. And so I, I got my butcher knife and I was creeping up the stairs because I wanted to get a more uh, powerful deterrent. And so I have a 38 upstairs in my room and I got to my room and no one was in my room. And so I got my gun and uh, you're thinking he's a psychopath. Uh, but I was like, you know what? I got to protect my, my baby. You know, she's, I don't want her to, to be hurt. And so I'm casing the rest of my house. Like, I've never been in this situation before. And I go to my boy's room. There's no one there. Um, and then I get to my girl's room. This is the last room in the upstairs. And so the door is shut. And I open it. I, I, actually, I kicked it open. No, I didn't do that. But I cracked it open. And there in bed was the intruder. I'm like, and it was my 12-year-old daughter, May. And she was on her cell phone with her earbuds in. She's like, what? <laughs> why, why are you pointing a gun at me? What the? And, and, and so we, we didn't know, we didn't communicate that May didn't go with her mom. And so because of our poor communication, which I'll take responsibility for, it triggered insecurity that something bad was happening in my house, that there was a person in my house that shouldn't be, but really the person should be, so it really wasn't a big deal. But I tell you that uh, story because... Oftentimes, when we think about our homes, we think about them being a safe place. All of us want our homes to be a safe place. I've never heard anyone say, man, I want home to be as scary as possible. Or I love to be insecure. No, as a matter of fact, when it comes to us as people, we all want to be secure in who we are. I've never met someone who loves to be insecure, yet when I look around at the landscape of people that I talk to, People are functioning out of insecurities, which leads them to false identities quite often. I mean, how often do you feel so insecure? Sometimes it's walking into a party and you don't know anybody. Am I right? Or you walk into work and people start laughing when they see you. Well, maybe that never happens to you, but uh, you, you go like, well, what, what's going on? You know, why are you laughing? Uh, and you understand that there are life, there are life situations that trigger insecurities, and we all have them, but none of us want to live in them. And I found that there are a few ways that these insecurities can be fueled that lead us toward an identity crisis or to have our identity stolen. And one of the first ways that this happens is in the opinions of others. Everybody has an opinion, right? If you're a sports fan, your team doesn't do well, people have opinions. 
they put them out there. My team did very poorly yesterday. And everybody's talking about what they would do to fix it and make it better. And those opinions, some of them are pretty nasty and mean and harsh. But everyone has an opinion. And people have opinions about you and opinions about me. It could be your parents. Parents have said things to you. They said things about you that have maybe tried to put you into a mold. Or maybe it's your partners. They've, they've said things about you to you to try to fit you into a mold that fits their opinion. Or maybe your kids. Sometimes kids can say things that are pretty hardcore. And it's like, whoa, back up the bus. Who are you talking to? You've experienced that before. Or maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's an employee. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's an enemy. But people have said things to you. People have said things about you. And some of them are true. And some of them are not. And sometimes they fuel the insecurities we have that take us to a false identity. The opinions of others are powerful in all of our lives. The second thing, cultural messages. Cultural messages. We have cultural messages raining down on us constantly, whether it be in social media, whether it be something we watch on TV, whether it be movies we watch, whether it be just anything we want to buy. You go into a store right now, you're probably even seeing Christmas stuff. I try to avoid stores. I like to buy my stuff online. But you're seeing advertisement for Christmas. You need, you need to buy this now. You better get on it now. And it's like, whoa, why are you trying to force me into this mold to try to tell me what I got to do and how I need to think and how I need to act and how I need to live? And the whole point of advertising is to say, you're not okay the way you are, so if you buy me, you'll be more okay than you are today. But the, the advertising constantly goes on and on and on. You need newer, bigger, better iPhone 10 plus S, whatever you want to throw out there. You need it and you need it now. Because you're not enough as you are. Think, act, live a different way. And it's quite often this just fuels the insecurities and takes us toward a false self. And the third thing are the lies we believe, which is going to magically appear. The lies we believe. We all have pain that we've experienced. People have hurt us. We have been hurt by experiences we've had and like, God, why are you allowing this to happen? I don't see the point. And in those lies, if they're unchallenged, they have a way of spreading seeds that create distorted beliefs that lead us into living out a false identity. The lies we believe can be powerful, and shaping and molding and take us in a direction. All of us would say that our insecurities have been fueled in one of these ways, if we were to think about it. And what I really like about this series is we get to address this because identity is such a confusing thing in our culture. But one of the great foundational pieces of this series is what Pastor Jonathan said last week and what he encouraged us to pray as we explore who God made us to be and our truest identity, our truest self. And it was this prayer. 
God, help me see me the way you see me. God, help me see me the way you see me. And while that's simple on the surface, I think that's very difficult to live out because of the opinions of others that are constantly expressed or constantly felt by a look, by an action, or the cultural messages that are raining down on us, or the lies that we believe that have taken us down a direction, the, the lies that we've agreed with, the lies that we've given high fives to or fist bumps to, to say, you're right, I'm stupid, I never get it right, I should be better, I should be smarter, I'm stupid, I'm stupid, I'm stupid, I'm stupid. There have been so many times in my own life when I've allowed a lie to go unchallenged that I have allowed myself to believe something untrue about myself to take me down a road. And for me and for you, I want us to be free of that. To God, help me to see me the way you see me. And to help us build on that idea today, I'm going to look at some writings from a guy who was a first century follower of Jesus. He didn't start out that way. None of us do. But he made the choice to follow Jesus. And his name was Paul. And Paul had some incredible writings that are contained in the New Testament portion of the Bible. But Paul... Had, had had this miraculous transformation. It would be kind of like, think about this for a second. So every one of you know people who are politically, I told you this would be political and I promise it won't be, but I want you just to go with me because I think it highlights what I want to say. Imagine the most staunch Democrat you know. We all know staunch Democrats. Or, or if you want to go the other way, imagine the most staunch Republican you know. And imagine if, you know, these are people, I'm talking about people that are going out and they're, they're holding signs and they're, and they're politicking and they're just, man, they're passionate. And they, they get mad and they get riled up and they get riled up in social media. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Imagine that person and you see them after you've seen all this activity and the next time you saw them, they were completely the opposite. They did a 180 and they went from being a staunch Democrat to a staunch Republican or a staunch Republican to a staunch Democrat. Would that freak you out a little bit? You know, if like you saw somebody and they're like, whoa, Trump, and oh, whoa, and then all of a sudden they're going, whoa, Clinton. You'd be like, what happened, bro? Or, 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 or vice versa. You'd be like, whoa, what's going on here? That's just a, a low way to say that Paul's transformation from saying, I'm killing and supervising the killing of Christians to now I am one, and now I'm helping other People become a Christian, it's kind of like that kind of transformation, a 180. And so when he writes, he writes with an authority of someone who was the opposite and had a life-changing experience, and one I think that gives credibility to what he expresses. And we're going to look at his writing to uh, the Roman church in the first century, And he writes these words in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. So now there is no condemnation. Now I want to pause there for a second. We don't really use the word condemnation a whole lot. Like, or even the word condemned. I condemn thee. That's just kind of a word that we don't really think about a whole lot. But that word contains so much power not for the good. It means strict, harsh judgment. You ever experienced strict and harsh judgment by someone's opinion 
by the way they look at you? And when I read this, and Paul's writing this, and Paul has been supervising the, the killing of Christians prior, and he writes this. He's not just writing this for the Roman church. He's not just writing this for the church. He's writing this for himself based on what he's discovered. There is there, not, there no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There's no harsh judgment for those who are in with Jesus, who are in with him. What he's saying is, I don't have to be under God's judgment. I don't have to be under anyone else's judgment because of what Jesus did by dying on the cross for me. We talked about that in communion this morning. That's why the cross was so special because we receive forgiveness through Jesus giving up his body, through Jesus shedding his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And so when Paul writes this, this is powerfully freeing for you and for me. And then he goes on, he writes some incredible things in this book, but skipping down to Romans chapter eight, verse 31, and the latter part of it, he goes on to say, if God is for, you like my shirt? For, see what I did there? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Now think about this for a second. If God is for you, He's saying, who can be against you? The truth is, God is for you. You can put your name in the blank. God is for Brian. Put your name in the blank. God is for you. And that changes everything because so often in my life growing up, I had a misconception of God. I grew up thinking that God was out to get me. God was wanting to judge me. I grew up in a very uh, strict uh, teaching of the, the scriptures in a way that I don't think represented what God wanted, but it was all about the do's and the don'ts. And when I did something wrong, I felt like I was being condemned and that God was condemning me and that I could go straight to hell at any moment if I sinned. And it was just so scary. I was scared all the time as a kid based on my understanding of God. But when I would look at the scriptures, I see, if God is for us, you can be against us. And there's no condemnation in Christ when we belong to him. That is powerfully liberating when it comes to our identity and who we are because of whose we are. And in verse 32, there's out another truth, mom. It says, he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also give up everything else? What he's saying is, man, I gave you my son. I'm not holding back. The truth is, man, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Isn't that great to think about in light of everything in the experience that's, that's hard is that there's a better tomorrow than what we're experiencing today? It is for me. Verse 33. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? So no matter what the opinions are of others, no one can, can, can bring anything against us because God has taken care of our sin problem. No one, for God himself has given us, him, given us right standing with himself. No one can come against you because God has chosen you. When you choose him, just remember, he's already chosen you. 
by giving Christ to you, by offering Christ to you. All you have to do is receive him. All you have to do is receive his love. When you receive his love and you believe in him, you have freedom. You have right standing with God in Christ because you belong with him. And then verse 34. So who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for, you like this? Us. And was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the right place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Do you think God wants you to know that he's for you? Do you think? As he inspires Paul to write these words that we're now reading 2,000 years later, God is for you. And it's incredible to look at this because Jesus is pleading for you, warning you to receive him on your behalf. He's pleading for you. Verse 35, and this is gonna be a flurry here, so buckle up. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Because we will have trouble or calamity. Or are persecuted, or are hungry, or are destitute, or are in danger, or threatened with death. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through who? Through Christ, who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing, I love this, nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, nor even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in creation will ever, ever, ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is being revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can breathe now. What a powerful set of scriptures that are being communicated to the church at Rome, that are being communicated to you no matter what your circumstances are. No matter what the opinions of other people are, no matter what culture communicates about you and to you about how you th should think, how you should act, and how you should live, no matter the lies that you've believed, God is for you when you belong to Jesus. And I can say it this way, that being in Christ means that you are in with him. Isn't it great to be in? Sometimes being in is overrated, depending on who that's with. Am I right? But man, when you find the right group of people to be in with, it's pretty extraordinary. The acceptance, the love, the feeling of family, the connection. Being in Christ means that you're in with him. And this is one of the things I really love about our church. You can be in with us as a church before you even believe what our church believes. No matter what you believe, you can attend one of these worship services. No matter what you believe, 
you can be in a group. No matter what you believe, there are many places that you can serve and participate in helping sharing the love of Jesus, even though you may not have received it. I think that's an incredible statement because so long and so often, if you look out in the community and you were, you were to see what people have experienced when it comes to the church, is the church is more known for what they're against rather than what they're for. And see, the thing is about Jesus is that he is for you. And to be in with him is merely receiving his love that is extended to each and every one of us. And for some of you this morning, today, your next step is to receive his love. Understanding that that being in Christ, receiving his love means that you are in with him. It's powerful what happens when we receive his love. And there are three, three things I, wanna, I just want to key in on that happen when you receive the love of Jesus and you're in with him. Number one, you become part of his family. You are a child of God. They sing a song uh, in our impact ministry and, and it's called No Longer Slaves. And I'm not gonna sing it to you because you might leave. But the, the lyrics say, I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I am a child of God. And it, sometimes it repeats, and I love to repeat the things that are true because so often we repeat the things that are not true, but the things that are true, you are no longer a slave to fear in Christ because you are a child of God. You are part of his family. You are in with him when you receive Jesus. Powerful. Secondly, you have a purpose. No matter what pain you've experienced, you have a purpose. As a matter of fact, I would say your greatest pain is the fuel for your greatest purpose. The person who identifies their pain and is willing to get comfortable in that and not initially sit in it and wallow in it, but to say, I'm gonna allow God to shine a light on this and, and, and to use it is the person who's operating with the most purpose. The person operating with purpose is a person who has satisfaction with their life. It's not always fun to operate with purpose. Sometimes it's hard and grueling. I have a purpose as a father. Sometimes being a father is not easy, y'all. Those kids, man, gotta get them in line. You understand what I'm saying? Some of you do. But I love them so much. And I'm willing to suffer on their behalf because I have a purpose to show them the love of God. And oftentimes they end up ministering to me. There's other pain in my life, whether it's losing a job, whether it's going through a divorce, whether it's going through anything where you've been bullied or you've been hurt by somebody where God can bring purpose out of the pain because you can look at somebody with your eyeballs and say, me too. And this is what Jesus did for me. Purpose. You lastly have eternal security. Isn't it great to know that no matter a hurricane comes through, earthquake, which we don't have here yet, or any other natural disaster, any other thing that comes into your life, you can be secure forever. You can have hope because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. 
And you can live out a true identity as a child of God that has purpose with eternal security. Not bowing down to the opinions of others, not bowing down to the cultural messages, and not bowing down to the lies that maybe you've believed. That's how you get to where your identity is not stolen. Understanding that being in Christ means that you're in with him. Now, to help illustrate this, I have a friend that attends this church. Her name is Megan Parker. And I'm gonna share with you her story this morning in her own words. And I just wanna let you know a little bit about Megan. Megan, she helped us launch the Summit Church Jamestown, March of 2016. We'll turn three this next year. Three, year. three years old is great, man. You're doing all kinds of exploration at three. We'll be turning three. But Megan helped us. She was a pioneer to help us get started. And Megan is someone I've known. I knew, knew her in high school. Uh, but she helped us get started. She's also a Kid Summit intern for our first year here. And God has done so much in her life. But she's had a lot of trauma, too. And when I baptized her back when she was in high school, we talked about her story. And I said, Megan, I would love to share some of your story with the people in our church. And she's like, I'm not really ready for you to go into that detail yet. She goes, but one day I might be. And when I am, I'll, I'll, I'll be good with you sharing it. And a few months ago, she ended up sending me an email with her story. And she said, you can use this when you're ready. Well, today is that day. And Megan's actually in this room, which is pretty awesome. So I'm going to share with you what God has done in Megan's life as she's discovered that she is in Christ and that means that she is in with him. When I was in second grade, my parents split up and got a divorce. My dad was the one that moved out, and my sister, my brother, and me stayed with my mom. At this time, this was the hardest thing I have ever dealt with and the thing that hurt me the most. I don't remember a lot from what happened in second grade and before, probably because it was traumatic for me. All I can remember from this time was the sadness and hurt that I felt. I was daddy's girl. I always had been. And now I didn't have him with me all the time. As I got a little bit older, I felt like my mom favored my sister over me because I was so much like my dad. We didn't really have a wonderful relationship because of this. In fourth grade, I was still hurt from my parents' divorce. This was also the first time I was bullied. One girl started it, but sometimes other people would throw comments in. She would call me names and even told me I was a spoiled brat because my parents were divorced. Luckily, I had a wonderful teacher that year, and the school counselor was amazing. I spent almost every day with her, her, her in her office that year. Trying to handle not having my dad when I went home and being bullied was really hard for me. As the school year went on, things stayed pretty consistent and terrible for me. When we moved up a grade, though, the school made sure to separate me from the group that had bullied me before. My fifth, sixth, and seventh grade years went on pretty smoothly. I had a lot of friends at school. We went to church every Sunday. I felt loved by God and my parents, and they were pretty good years for me. In eighth grade, I decided I wanted to move in with my dad. My mom wouldn't let this happen without a fight. My dad decided he would take my mom to court if I was sure I wanted to move in with him full time. And I was positive. So in eighth grade, I went to the lawyer's office to sign papers saying I, did, I, want, or I said I want to move and that it was safe for me to in both houses. 
My mom decided she didn't want to go to court. So a few weeks later, she agreed to let me move in with him. That meant a school switch for me. I moved schools right after Christmas break of my eighth grade year. The first few weeks were okay. Then things went downhill pretty fast. I was being bullied again, this time a little worse because it's not fourth grade. And people now knew more hurtful things to say to me. They called me fat, ugly, weird, gross, and stupid. They would brush my shoulder walking past me and say, ooh, and keep going. I didn't know why this was happening to me. I didn't know why God was letting this happen to me. It happened so often that I began to believe the words that were said to me. Did you catch that? She began to believe the words, the opinions of others the lies that came from that. I then started to lose my faith in God and in myself. This was not a good time, and it was when I began to hurt myself. It wasn't severe. It just looked like light scratches. I had no idea then that it would escalate how it did. I never told or showed anyone what I was doing. I just did it to release some emotional pain I had from school. As time went on, though, it grew into a bigger problem. I felt like I had to do it or I couldn't function properly. Close to the end of the year, my parents started talking about moving to Florida. I was overly excited because if we moved, it meant I got a fresh start. Over the summer, my cutting eased a little knowing I'd never have to hear those things from people again. But it continued because I already felt like I was the things I had been called. Again, the opinions of others, the cultural messages, and lies Megan believed played a big role in her hurting herself and self-harming. When we moved, I was pretty nervous but excited to start school. The first few weeks went well, but then I started getting bullied again. It started pretty small, and I tried to ignore it, but then it got physical. People would knock books out of my hands or trip me in the halls just for laughs. They also pulled me by the hair in my bag and, and pushed me into the walls because I was in the way. The rest of the semester I was in Florida was like this. I had a few friends and no, uh, no feeling that God was even real. There was no way if he was real that he would let this happen to me. My cutting escalated and I began to become suicidal. I wanted to die and I felt like no one would even care. My parents didn't know because I hid it and pretended I was happy until I could lock myself in my room. In the middle of the semester, I was going to a marching band competition and I got a phone call when we stopped for dinner. My dad had been arrested. My dad was one of the only people I had trust for and this killed it. My, mom, my stepmom came to pick me up and we went to the jail to get my dad and take him to rehab. My Nana had come down to stay with us, but I just locked myself in my room. And after this, I really didn't want to live any longer. I'd stopped eating because I thought I was gross and fat. And if I did have to eat, I made myself sick right after. Because my dad had an addiction, he was going to meetings and things that kept him out of the house a lot. And my stepmom was working more to pay the bills. I was left with my two-year-old sister alone quite a lot. After a while staying with her, one of the girls at school saw my arms and threatened to tell the teacher if I didn't tell my parents. So I texted my stepmom from school and had to go home to it. They were upset and made me show them and ask me why. They figured it was because of my dad, but I told them it wasn't, but wouldn't tell them the truth about school because I was scared of what would happen. Even though they knew it, it continued. I just started somewhere else so they wouldn't see it. My dad told my mom, and they thought it was best that I moved in with her so I wouldn't be alone so often. So after Christmas break in ninth grade, I moved to North Carolina.
I started at Glen High School and chose to be involved in theater, band, and dance. Today, I'm very glad I made the decision to be involved. My theater teacher took me in immediately and started helping me get involved at school. I wasn't being bullied for the first time in a while, but because of where I was in life, I continued hurting myself for quite some time. Man, those lies, they can take a while to, to go away, right? It got worse before it got better. I began, began having subconscious panic attacks because of anxiety. I was put on medication for some time to help keep them under control. I was also on medicine for insomnia because I wasn't sleeping. One day, check this out, this is great. One day, my sister had invited me to attend Impact in the Summit Church. The first time I went, I was a little skeptical because of the feelings I had about God. But when Brian started preaching, I felt like he was talking to me, my past, and the feelings I was currently having. I felt like this in Impact Services for quite some time, but then I began to open up to the thought that God was real, and maybe, maybe he did care about me. She was opening up to the idea that maybe God was for her. Through this time, I struggled with it more because I didn't understand why he would let all those things happen to me over and over again. Then I saw that Kids Summit needed help with their worship team. I love music so, so much, and I felt like it was the right path for me, and my mom encouraged me to join. I started in Kids Summit every Sunday and continued to go to Impact every week. God really began to open my heart as I grew in faith while these kids grew in their faith. Worship was my thing. It was how I began to grow, um, and it was also when I felt the most connected to God. I began to come out of the funk I was in. I came off my anxiety medication, and I finally stopped hurting myself. I messed up every now and then and scratched my skin raw, but only for a short period of time. I continued to volunteer in Kid Summit and even got baptized shortly after. I don't know where I would be without the Summit Church and the opportunities they provided me and the acceptance they gave me and the time I needed it the most. And you can see the power of what happens. You know that being in Christ means that you're in with him as a child of God, as a person with purpose, and a person that knows where they're going. And here's a couple pictures of Megan and, and me. This is before her baptism. And I just love it because this is Megan in 11th grade. And this is Megan um, in her baptism moment. The next one. And anytime someone takes that step into those waters, man, we just have no idea what got them to this point. And even this morning, I was watching God bring good out of bad by, by Megan connecting with a lady in our church whose niece has struggled with some of the very same things that Megan has struggled with. Because see, God brings purpose out of your pain. It wasn't wasted that's good news. See, Megan's story, it's continuing. I don't want I don't want to, I almost forgot to read this. I want you to hear the rest of this. She says, now I'm still volunteering at Kid Summit, and I'm on the setup and teardown team in Jamestown. Thank you so much, by the way. We could not do all this setup and teardown without you. I'm also engaged to a guy that our Kid Summit pastor introduced me to at Camp Kid Summit a few years ago. Okay, it pays to serve, y'all pays to serve. You want to, you're single, ready to mingle? Okay, come on. 
That was for free. We attend church in Jamestown together every weekend. And after we are married, we plan on continuing to attend and serve here. I'm in school to be a speech, speech pathologist, easy for me to say, which some people at church are helping me with. And I haven't had anxiety or any form of self-harm in three years. See, what Satan intended for evil, God brings good. And it's because Megan trusted in Jesus, understanding that being in Christ means, and it's going to pop up on the screen any minute now, that you are in with him. And the thing I want to ask you all is what's that next step for you? It could be, you know what, today is the day that I'm going to receive Jesus and what he did on the cross for me to give his body and to shed his blood for the forgiveness of my sins. I'm going to receive his love. I challenge you to do that knowing that God is for you and he wants you to become his child because being in Christ means that you're in with him and you would then have a new purpose and eternal security Incredible promises from God. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe your next step is to say, you know what? Man, I want to help share the love of Jesus by serving in this church. I want to get involved. There are kids in this church that need, kids that, like Megan that were in impact, that needed small group leaders to help her frame her pain. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe you're already serving and it's just to say, you know what? I want to serve with more purpose than ever before understanding that nothing is wasted, that God has me there for a purpose that maybe I can't even see right now. Maybe it's I need to talk to somebody to help process the pain in my life that have led me to believe lies about myself and even other people. We have a life care ministry for that. We actually have a, a, a prayer room in the very back corner set up for you to go talk to somebody if you wanted to do that today. We also have cards in the back of our, our chairs where you can fill them out with the next steps, whatever those next steps may be. And we will follow up with you, whether it's you want to receive Jesus or serve or whatever, be a part of a group, you fill in the blank. God has a purpose for you being here today and a next step for you to take. And above all else, I hope that you remember that being in Christ means that you're in with him as his child with purpose and with eternal security. So with that in mind, let me pray for you as you consider your next steps. God, we thank you for making our identity secure in Jesus. We thank you that with all the things out there to fuel our insecurities, the opinions of others, the cultural messages and the lies we believe, we thank you that you are for us and want to liberate us from that. So whatever next step you're calling us to take, I pray that you would take it, help us to take it individually and as a church. God, we look forward to what you're going to do to bring good out of bad. And we thank you again for being for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.